This is going to be a great time together in the Word of God. Thank you, worship team, and I want to say thank you to everybody who helped us on Tuesday night uh, really prepare and pull off a wonderful, they call it the Achdud Ha'ir, it's, uh, it's the unity of the city uh, prayer that we did together. Uh, those of you uh, like Melissa and the King of Kings worship team who joined other worship teams to help lead the night or those that came early to set up and, and to prepare uh, drinks for everyone or those that uh, jumped in at the last minute to, to help with extra chairs because we were an overflowing crowd like you saw. So thank you so much for helping us with that. We're, we're getting lots of requests to do it again and so uh, we're doing our best to try to put it together uh, get all the logistics uh, connected as they need to be. And thank you for everybody who helped with the bomb shelters. Pastor Mike showed you some incredible photos of before and after, guys. We're doing some amazing things through the Israel War Relief Fund. Um, and you might say to yourself, well, how come I feel like I'm behind and I don't know about all those things? I've got an answer for you. Number one, if you're a member of King of Kings, you should already be on our membership WhatsApp group if you're not, make sure you contact the office. Or if you live in Jerusalem and you don't already get our local King of Kings newsletter, you need to go to the website, sign up today. That way you'll catch up with what we're doing. If you are watching online tonight and we welcome you from all over the world and you don't get our updates, you need to go to kkm.network and sign up for the newsletter there and you will be all caught up. So it is great to be with you tonight. Welcome everybody watching online as well. King of Kings Community Live. Facebook, YouTube, all around the world. We welcome you. I did see in my notes we have some people joining us tonight from Hong Kong, people from India, and some people from Tanzania. Wow. Uh, so we have lots of countries joining us tonight, but thank you guys for being with us here at King of Kings. Now, you want to jump into the next two things. I, I was saying thank you for the things that were passed, but now you want to jump into the two things that are coming up, right? Who wants to jump in? Raise your hand. Good, I like it, good response. First thing is when we were praying last week, we were interceding for the idea that God would move on our government to be a catalyst for prayer and fasting. Then we had our prophetic council meeting on Wednesday and we also prayed, thank you prophetic council, for the same thing, we repented, we were talking about the value of life and receiving words for that. We started to pray into God, move the government to take ownership of this. And in recent days, there's been a, a momentum shift there that I want to relay that to you. And it really comes from the concept of Genesis chapter 33. This is not the sermon. This is all bonus. I'm giving you a way to plug in. In Genesis 33, you know that Jacob was preparing to meet his brother Esau after a long period of time. And, and one of the great rabbis of old, Rashi, writes in some of his uh, Midrash, he says that Jacob prepared three things on his way to meet Esau because he did not know how this was going to go. It could turn very ugly. Remember, they had not had a great relationship. And he prepared gifts in case that was relevant. He prepared his people to fight, just in case that became relevant. And then he prepared in prayer. And one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the Knesset members earlier this week uh, was, was talking about this, and they were saying, listen, we're doing really good at war. 
We're making progress. We're stopping Hamas. We're doing these things. And we're doing really good as a country from serving with our hands with humanitarian aid. But where is the prayer? And we want to jump on that. And there's been a local rabbi who has challenged the country that we want to come alongside. And he's calling for uh, all the other rabbis that, that will listen, uh, along with the chief rabbis, top to bottom of Israel, along with the Knesset members, along with the Jewish believers in Israel and the Gentile Christians around the world to join together in a national day of prayer. Now, we have dozens, multiple dozens of Knesset members who have already signed up and said yes. We have rabbis that have signed up and said yes, and we're almost at the 500 mark of believing organizations that have said yes. King of Kings is one of them. Now, here's the deal. If by tonight we have enough that reaches a certain threshold, in the morning they're going to take out a page in the Jerusalem Post to announce this National Day of Prayer. So what we're doing, here's what we're doing, here's how you can participate with us. If you want to pray in person, physically in person, tomorrow, upstairs in the summit, you can pray anytime between 12 noon and 8 p.m., 12 to 8, physically in the summit. Or join us online and all of those uh, around Israel that are joining us, all the King of Kings network leaders are trying to join us. Tomorrow night, 5 to 6 p.m. tomorrow night, 5 to 6 p.m. That's in your email already. If you get the newsletter, it's sitting there with a link. And I'm going to ask those that are hosting our online audience to make sure you paste the link. It's the main King of Kings link for Zoom that they can join us tonight. That's 5 to 6 p.m. Israel time. Please be careful. We changed the clocks back last week. A lot of meetings got disrupted this week because of that. So guys online, make sure you check uh, the time. That's, that's tomorrow. That's Monday. Then next Sunday, like Pastor Mike said, you can join us right here after worship. We're going to come worship together. We're going to hear the word. And then right after this, we're going to go out to the cafe area where our team is already going to prepare the assembly line and we're going to pack 200 boxes. Listen, I need your help for this. Here's why. We were, we were asked to pack 500 boxes and my faith was a little low. I'm just admitting, I'm, I'm being vulnerable. My faith was a little low that we could do it well and that we had enough inventory space for it. But if we volunteer really well together next week and we do 200 and we make it look easy, then we're gonna go for the 500 the next time, okay? So if you could help me do that, put it on your calendar. We're excited about it. Thank you, James and Melissa Patton for taking on that project for us. So if you missed serving last week, don't miss serving this coming week. We're going to continue tonight in our sermon series called Behind the Scene. That, that means behind the things that are seen with our eyes, there's much more going on. To recap week number one that you can find in our archives, we talked about God being an unseen God who never stops working. And we gave lots of examples about that. In week number two, we discussed the idea of transactional elements of faith. The things that God is doing that you cannot fully see, nor will you fully understand. Because if you could see it, then by the biblical definition, it wouldn't be faith. So the next time you complain about, I, I, I'm not seeing God what I want to see, or I, I don't understand God what I want to understand. Remember that as soon as you make that statement, you have left the realm of faith. 
I'm gonna encourage you to get back into the realm of faith. And, and don't worry that you don't understand everything. God has infinite wisdom. We do not. And somewhere in the, the difference between his infinite wisdom and our lack of infinite wisdom, there is this area called we don't understand. And it is okay to have faith anyway. Amen? So that catches you up. Tonight, our sermon is going to be called The Invisible War. Now, if we were to return to our core scripture for this whole series, we would be reminded that investing in what we can see is not a great investment because it's called temporary in the scriptures. But investing into the, what you cannot see is a good investment because it's being invested into the eternal. Let me remind you of that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I meditated on that this week, and, and I'm going to give you kind of a word picture that was in my spirit to help you understand. In the unseen world or realm of God, we need to understand that there is a whole society going on. Right? I don't want you to be confused that like in, in the heavenly place, it's just God on his throne and there's like no one else around. You're like, oh, that, he must have been lonely. That's why he created humans. That, that, that's not the right picture. There's a whole society going on around him. There's a whole way of life. There's a, if you can embrace this idea, this ecosystem, if you will, of heavenly life, how things relate together. You know, there are creatures in heaven that are unique to heaven alone. There's a flow of information. That means the, the way God communicates and he teaches those around him. There's a flow of communication. Did you know there's buildings so I didn't know there were buildings. No, there's physical things. I just said he's sitting on the throne. That's physical. We know there's a heavenly tabernacle. That's physical. There's creatures. That's physical. There's all kind of stuff that's physical in heaven. There are assignments given to angels, the servants of God, the servants of man, right? There are assignments. We have lots of instances in the scriptures where angels come to the throne and they say, my, my Lord, what do you want me to do next? And God says, here's your next assignment. And they go out and they do it. Lots of examples. So you can see this movement in heaven, this communication, this ecosystem, this whole society is happening in the heavenly realm. But what also goes along with this is the idea that Yeshua is our high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. But he's also our king seated on the throne. And in this realm, in this society of heaven, God has an army. Right? There's an army. Joshua chapter 5, just to give you a little glimpse at this. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Man, there is so much to look at there. Number one, Joshua knew it was the Lord God. That's one of the times that Yeshua shows up in the flesh in the Old Testament. He bows. Angels do not allow you to bow. They always say, get up. But this person says, that's okay, you can bow. It's right. He falls face down. He cries out, it's the Lord. And then he says, take off your sandals, it's holy. See, an angel can't say that. But Yeshua can say that to Joshua. So this is Yeshua in front of Joshua. And Joshua is saying, we're about to go into this big battle, Father. Uh, we're going to need your help. And he's praying. And then all of a sudden, Yeshua comes and meets him. And he says, oh my goodness, this is obviously a supernatural being. Are you with our army or are you with their army? And the answer, I'm sure, surprised him the same way it surprised you tonight. I'm not for either army. You're like, whoa. Pastor Chad, are you allowed to say that in Israel right now? And I want to be careful. I want to be sensitive. But Yeshua said, I'm, I'm not for anybody's army. You see, that, that, to, listen, to God, and this is where my spirit just kind of went fireworks crazy, yeah, and I was meditating on the Lord. War between countries feels huge to us. But when you're the master of the entire universe, it feels a little bit smaller. And that's why he can say, I, I'm not necessarily for you or for you. Both of you are my children and I love you deeply and equally. But it's very important that we hear what he said he did not say, in this instance, he did not say, I am the commander of Israel's army. He said, I'm the commander of heaven's army. That's a different army. Bigger army. Better army. Stronger army. Now, that doesn't mean that heaven's army doesn't get involved. Because as you see, and I'm going to show you some instances, heaven's army does get involved. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have an earthly army either. God gave us instructions on how to do that properly. But Yeshua was saying, I am not the leader of Israel's army right now. I'm the leader of heaven's army. And we know some great commanders of Israel's army in the past. Of course, Joshua was one of them. King Saul, King David, Gideon. But Yeshua was in the role of the commander of heaven's army. And that actually continues well into the new covenant as well. Revelation 19, 14 says, the armies of heaven were following Yeshua, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. He didn't, he didn't just lead the army in the past. He leads the army, friends, in the future. Think about it. That's the army we also want to be connected with. So now we can address Yeshua as our God, as our creator. Remember, all things were made by him. Nothing was made without him. He's our creator. 
He's our father. You say, well, that seems weird. He's the son. How can he be the father? Well, Pelioetz, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. He's the wonderful counselor, right? The almighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He's all of them wrapped together in that unity we talk about. He's our savior. He's our high priest. He's our sacrifice. He's our commander. He's our king. You know, what is interesting is that this may accidentally lead someone to think that God is in the business of the consolidation of power. All the things I just read you, it sounds like God's consolidating his power. I want to be, I want every title. I want everything. Well, he's already got them. But he's not in the business of consolidation of, of power. He's in the business of delegation of authority. That's the business he's in. You take my spirit. You take the keys of hell and death. You take the keys of the kingdom. You take my name and my blood and the authority in it. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You preach the gospel. You make disciples. You become heirs of my kingdom. Be co-heirs with me. Let's rule this universe together. He's not in the business of consolidating power. He's in the business of delegating authority. Somebody should write a book about that. <laughs> Sounded like a pretty good one. So now that we've established that there's an army in heaven in this society, this heavenly society that we're going to get to be part of, friends, one day, and that Yeshua commands the army of heaven, let's look at this army of heaven in action. You want to see it in action? Let's look at it in action. So before I get to the story, the context is super important. You can turn in your Bibles, get ahead of me, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to give you the background to help you a little bit. 2 Kings chapter 6. At that time that we're about to read, the kingdom of Israel is split into two sections. Later, it actually gets split into three sections. But right here, it's in two sections. This is the upper northern kingdom of Israel that they will call Israel. And the king at the time is King Joram. And then there's the southern part of Israel called the southern tribes of Judah. The Bible will use the term Judah for that. So you have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. It's actually all of Israel because the tribes are still the tribes, but they've split. The king in the north is Joram. The king in the south is Jehoshaphat. And they're having friction with the Aramean army. Okay, so this, this sets the stage for this. And if you're wondering where uh, uh, Aram is at the time of this, this passage, it's in southern Syria. So what we're about to have is the northern tribes of Israel are about to have friction with the southern part of Syria. Sound familiar? Find ourselves kind of in that mode right now, don't we? Very relevant. But here's a little twist to the story. The king of Aram has a commander of his army, the Aramean army, and the, the commander of that army's name is, is Naaman. Okay, not, not Jewish, he's with, with the Syrian. He's with the Arameans. And he gets leprosy, and he can't get over this disease. And one of his servants, who had been stolen from Israel and taken hostage, was taken over to the Aramean camp. 
And when the commander couldn't get over the disease, it was, it was the servant, the Jewish servant that said, well, you know, in Israel, there's the God of Israel and people can heal you. So he secretly goes over to Israel. This is the commander of the enemy's army. And he goes over to Israel and says, tell me about this prophet. And they bring Naaman to Elisha. Remember the student of Elijah? Elisha. And Elisha walks him through, bathes seven times in our water. And he gets upset because he's like, your water's dirty and our water's cleaner. Why do I have to bathe in your water? And his servant says to him, well, if he had told you to do something really hard, wouldn't you have done it? This is easy. Just get in the water. And he gets in the water through faith, and he gets healed instantly. And then he goes back to his army. And you're thinking, oh, I can see what God's doing. He's cleaning up the relationships. Maybe that will take care of the friction. It'll take care of the bad relationships with the enemy. Nope. Didn't take care of that. Because we pick it up here in 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Remember, this happened after his commander was healed by a Jewish prophet and referred to by a Jewish slave. The king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, that means Naaman was one of those officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, being Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, being Joram, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. So let me just make that simple in today's terms. There's an enemy king in southern Syria of the Arameans, and he keeps moving his army to attack Israel. And every time he moves his army, God sends a word to the prophet Elisha, and he says, hey, the enemy's right there. Go tell the king of Israel. So Elisha runs and tells the king of Israel, hey, don't go over there. The enemy is there. And he does it so many times that every time the Aramean army tries to move, they can never catch and attack the Israelis because the word of the Lord keeps telling the prophet what's happening. And it's frustrating the king till he comes back and he yells at his own guys. Which one of you we would say in English, is the mole. One of you is a spy telling all of our plans, and they say, no, it's, it's God of Israel. And you got to know Naaman is in that group. And he's going, hey, I, you know, a couple of months ago, I, had, you know, I was sick, and I went over there. They got this guy, and he can do stuff. And I think God is telling him what we're doing, and that's why we can't get ahead of this game. Now, this is not a new gift to Elisha, by the way. A chapter earlier, after Naaman was healed of the disease and ran back to his army, 
He had asked Elisha, what can I give you? What can I pay you for your service? And he said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want payment. So, so Naaman ran off. But Elisha's servant didn't like that answer. Gehazi didn't like that answer. He wanted money. We should have gotten paid. That was a great healing. We need to get paid for the healing. And he runs after Naaman and he says, oh, you know, my master changed his mind and we will, we will take that. So he's lying. He's deceiving. And he comes back into to Elisha's presence. I'm in chapter 5, 2 Kings, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 25. It says that Gehazi went in and stood before his master Elisha and asked him, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? Well, your servant didn't go anywhere. That sounds like my kids. What are y'all doing? Nothing. How come two of y'all are crying? Nothing. Not doing anything. Why are the Band-Aids out? I don't know. I just, they, they walked in here. Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? In this time, uh, in, in this, the time to take money or to accept clothes or olives, groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male or female slaves. He's basically saying, look, Gehazi, you're lying my spirit was there. The Lord tells me what you're doing. Just like the Lord tells me what the king of Aram is doing. So the king, the enemy king cannot get ahead of Israel because Elisha keeps revealing the plans that he has. Remember that God sees all things, including the position of our enemy's army. Very important today to remember that. Then God sends his angels on assignments from his heavenly army to help our army on earth. So the king of Aram is frustrated. He wants to give up on the war. And he actually wants to go after Elisha now. We're back in the main text, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 13. He says, watch him change his strategy. Go, go find out where this man is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city where Elisha was. He doesn't even care about attacking Israel anymore. He doesn't care about the city of Dothan. He wants Elisha. And you say, why does he want Elisha? Well, guys, listen, it's real easy. The history of the world works this way. Whoever has the biggest gun rules the world. When Genghis Khan, who to date had the largest empire that the earth has seen in history, the way he got it was he trained his people with the long bow to shoot while they were riding on horses. So they never had to dismount. They were never stationary. The enemy couldn't hit them, and yet they could shoot perfectly fine while they moved. He had the biggest gun. How did the Egyptians come to rule? They had the, the biggest guns, the biggest army, the strongest, the chariots, the long spears, 
of the Romans, the discipline of the Roman army to get behind shields and to form a bubble that they could move past anyone's army without losing anyone. The conquering nations. You know, you think back to World War I and World War II and who won? Who got to make the rules? The ones with the biggest guns. The ones who dropped the biggest bombs. And the king of Aram understands that from a military perspective. That's why he says, I don't care about Israel anymore. That's small potatoes. I want the biggest gun. I want Elisha. You understand? His whole army was being defeated by one man because of the presence of God. And I want us to be careful in today's world with so much going on. Is so, I mean, man, our emotions are just on high alert all, all the time and as they should be. But I want to make sure, friends, King of Kings family, listen to me. I want to make sure that we do not trust in chariots. We don't trust in horses. We don't trust in guns. We don't trust in Iron Dome. We trust in the name of the Lord because he has always been and always will be the biggest gun on earth. We continue the story here, 2 Kings 6, 15. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city of Dothan. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. You see, the servant is looking with his eyes, but Elisha can see what's behind the scene. And Elisha's already had multiple interactions where God has shown him supernatural things. And so he answers this way in verse 16. Don't be afraid, servant. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is behind the scene. This is heaven's army. This is, the, this is the one Yeshua is ruling. Notice Israel was right there, but they didn't see Yeshua standing next to Israel commanding their army per se. They saw Yeshua commanding heaven's army, and heaven's army was surrounding all of the hills. Everyone. It was surrounding the enemy's army. It was surrounding Israel's army. It was surrounding Dothan's city. It was surrounding Elisha and the servants. It was heaven's army that came to take over the situation. And that is what we need to pray for today. Pray that heaven's army takes over. Because in heaven's army, we have the biggest gun. And it's God. Elisha's servant could now see the army of heaven. I'll give you the key phrase of tonight. Our sweet spot of effectiveness, like Elisha, is living in the realm of the supernatural because that was the way we were created to function. When you look only with your eyes, you are forfeiting a much more effective role that God has created you for, which is to live in the supernatural. That's why we always repeat Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. You don't be witnesses without power. Power comes first because you were created to live in the realm of the supernatural. 
Now, for sure, we're very uh, educated on these things. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark, uh, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, heaven's army has to fight other demonic armies in the heavenly realms. Now, there are several supernatural elements that happened in tonight's story. Elisha was receiving supernatural knowledge of the enemy's position from the Lord. He had words of knowledge, words of wisdom. He knew things he shouldn't know. That is a supernatural gift of the Spirit of God. He would then relay that information to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel would position his army in a different area in preparation and in safety from the king of Aram. This frustrated the king of Aram time and time again. Secondly, Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened to see all of the angelic hosts of heaven's army that had been standing there the whole time. Friends, please remember in this story, it wasn't as if Elisha said, Lord, can you please send your army and then open our eyes so that we can see them? No, it was, Lord, your army's already there. Can you open our eyes that we can see them because they've been there this whole time? People of Israel, listen to me. Heaven's army is already here. It's been here the whole time. We're wanting to open up our eyes to see it. And though we may not understand every piece of it, that is the ripe soil for true faith. When you don't see it all, when you don't understand it all. But that wasn't even the end of the story. The story, it has, it has another layer. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, go ahead, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. So it wasn't only that Elisha was giving away the positions of the army. It wasn't only that he could see heaven's army and ask the Lord to open up his servant's eyes to see the angels. He, in a third way, he asked the Lord to blind the enemy's army. And now the, the, the Arameans are walking around blind. And then, in a crude movie reference, he does this Jedi mind trick on them. This is not the land you're looking for. These are not the people you want. Follow me and I will take you to the people you want. And he takes them right back over there where they came from. Go to Samaria. Those are the people you want to be around. Those are the people you want to attack. And he delivers them completely out of Israel. He blinded them. Then he asked them to open their eyes. Imagine how confused they were. They opened their eyes and they're like, this looks pretty familiar. Yeah, because we just took you in a circle. Get out of here. That was a third miracle. 
and the audacity, the courage, the chutzpah of Elisha to be the one to lead the enemy army away from Israel. I mean, the gumption of this guy. How did he have that faith? How did he have those miracles? How did he have that knowledge? How did he have that courage to grab the hand of the king of his enemies and say, come here, hold my hand. I'm going to walk you. Because Elisha knew who had the biggest gun. And it was God. It was the heavenly army. He had seen it time and time again. And I think this becomes tonight what I'm going to ask for because we're going to do this tomorrow night in our prayer time as we do the National Day of Prayer. I believe this story can serve as a model for our prayer. So let me walk you through it and we'll close. Step one. God, please uncover the plans of our demonic enemies. Step two. God, please reveal to us the armies of heaven that you have already assigned for us. Three. Lord, blind our enemies so that they cannot accomplish their assignment against us or our people. And four, God, lead us to a supernatural victory by subduing our enemies and cancel their threat against us completely. That's a model of prayer. That's a model of warfare prayer in the face of real enemies. These were not pretend enemies. These were real enemies on the ground, just like we're dealing with today. And we're going to take those four prayer points into our prayer time tomorrow. So let me close with a few, just three encouraging verses. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Remember, Yeshua is the commander of heaven's army. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. I see the good and the evil. Daniel 2.22. He reveals deep and hidden things, just like Elisha. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. And finally, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story. Thank you for making it very real and relevant to our situation today. Not only are we dealing with similar geography, but we're dealing with similar, similar enemies. And we pray those four points tonight, Lord. Reveal the enemy's plans. Open our eyes that we might see what you are doing now as a God who never stops working. Open our eyes that we might see heaven's army. Blind our enemies so they can't even tell what they're doing or supposed to do. Make them fight one another. Send them back to the area they came from. And cancel all of their assignments against us so that not one more of our people will be lost. Guide us, Lord. We pray for wisdom for our government to pick up this baton of the National Day of Prayer. That if it came from the top, it carries even much more authority. And God would 
hear our prayer. Pray for our soldiers and their safety. Wisdom for the commanders on the ground. Pray for resources to serve those in need. We pray for the innocent all over this region. They're in lots of countries now, these innocent people who don't agree with the enemy's strategy. We just pray for safety for the innocent. And God, we pray for the truth to be revealed to the world. We're so tired of all these lies and these just fake stories. But then again, they always lied about you too. Give us wisdom to walk this out and to be good examples of people that not only know how to fight, not only do we know how to do humanitarian aid, but we know how to pray and fight in the heavenly realm. Fill us, Holy Spirit, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.